for this afternoon, and uh, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we've been looking at uh, this chapter a number of weeks now, and we want to continue looking at uh, uh, this uh, particular section. Uh, we're in verses 1 through 14, the longest sentence in the Bible. Um, last week we looked at verse 7, in particular the verse there, in whom we have redemption through his blood. And we began praising God for the redemption provided through Jesus Christ. Uh, we noted the character, the cost, and the cause of redemption. And I want to continue this afternoon to rejoice in our redemption by looking at two more aspects of our praise to God. And so we're looking here this afternoon at praising God for the results. Uh, verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through the, His blood, for the forgiveness of sin, sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Christ died for our sins. He made a way for sinners to be saved. He gave us love and he gave us life. Uh, he did all this simply because he met his, he set his grace and his love upon us. Uh, he does not charge us. He doesn't send you a bill later on, okay? You won't get a bill in the, in the mail. Uh, this is free of charge. Uh, it does, he doesn't expect anything from you in exchange for the redemption that he gives us. Now the redemption God offers through Jesus Christ does far more for us than just buy back from the slavery of sin. But uh, the redemption we have been given in Jesus provides some very glorious uh, benefits that change our lives and our eternities. I want you to notice, first of all, the redeemed have been released the redeemed have been released. Um, Paul tells us that the redeemed enjoy forgiveness of sins through the redemption we have in Jesus. Now the word translated forgiveness refers to a pardon. When it comes to our sins, it means our sins have been put away from us as though they never happened. Uh, human forgiveness is conditional. When you forgive someone because they hurt you, sometimes we have a hard time getting to that place of forgiveness. We've been offended, we've been hurt. Maybe it's a very serious offense. And we say, oh, I just can't forgive. But if we do come to that point of forgiveness, when we do, we rarely forget it. 
We forgive. Yes, I forgive you. But I'm going to remember it. <laughs> well, then have we, really, have we really forgiven? But that's the way we are made. Uh, we often do not forget these things. No matter how hard we try, uh, what has been done to us by another person seems to be always there. No matter how hard we try to press those memories down, it seems to float back to the surface again. Something triggers a, re- a memory. But that's not how forgiveness works for God. Uh, when, the, when the Lord forgives, He also forgets. When God forgives, He takes the sin and He puts it away. He takes our sins and He treats them as if they had never been committed in the first place. That is the testimony of the Word of God. Now, in the Old Testament... In the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, you find a ritual, a ceremony there uh, of the scapegoats. It's an illustration of the forgiveness of sin. The high priest would take two goats, and one goat would be slain, and its blood gathered in a basin. And that blood would be taken and sprinkled on the mercy seat, because the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And then the other goat will be taken and the high priest would lay his hands upon the head of the goat and confess the sins of the people and he would put the sins of the people on the head of the goat. Uh, They would then lead that goat out into the wilderness and release it to never come back. And we call that goat the scapegoat because the sins were laid upon him. So Jesus became our scapegoat. And it took two animals to portray what Jesus did. One animal to shed his blood, another animal to bear away the sin. And so the phrase here in verse 7 literally means to bear away. It says, for the forgiveness of sins. To bear away. We're forgiven. Our sins are gone. Jesus not only shed his blood, but he carried them away. Psalm 103.12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. When John the Baptist testified of Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The word taketh away, or the phrases, the words taketh away, means to carry off. When Jesus died on on Calvary, our sins were laid on him, And he was judged in the place of his people and God judged him as if he were guilty of all those sins. And God extinguished his wrath in the body of his son, which Jesus died on that cross. Now, because our sins have already been paid for, they can also be forgiven and put away when we come to Jesus by faith. It is as if our past never occurred. I remember what I've done. I can remember things that we've done, uh, that you've done. I can remember what I've done. You can remember what you've done. Satan remembers what I I did. Do you know what? God doesn't. He forgives and he forgets. He puts it away. He takes it away. Puts it away from him. As far as he is concerned, my sin never happened. And so we're praising God for the result of, the re, of our uh, 
sins have been, or the redeemed have been released. Secondly, the redeemed have been reconciled. If we go back to verse 6, it says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. We have been accepted in the Beloved. The word accepted there means to make agreeable. Now, in our natural state, we are not agreeable to God. In fact, we are hateful to Him. Uh, Romans 8, 7 says, The carnal mind is enmity against God. It means we are God's enemies. We're opposed to Him and we're opposed to His ways. He's opposed to us and we abide continually under His judgment. But when we come to Jesus and are redeemed, everything changes. Old wicked sinners like us are brought into the grace relationship with God. Our sins are forgiven. Our stains are washed away in His blood. Even our very natures are changed through the new birth. God accepts us, not as we are in ourselves, but as He made us in Christ, in Jesus. Now, the phrase there, accepted in the beloved, is, is written in such a way as to, I have been accepted, I stand accepted, and I will always be accepted in the beloved. So the results of redemption in our lives are eternal, wonderful, and glorious. God is to be praised for the results of His grace and His love in our lives. So we're praising God for His redemption. We're praising God for the results. And then thirdly, we're praising God for His reasons. Now in this section, verses 7 through 10, surely we can find ample reasons to praise God for His redemption. After all, His redemption delivers us from our sins. Uh, It adopts us into His family. Surely we can praise Him for the results. And because we've been redeemed, our sins have been forgiven, we've been made acceptable, His redemptive work in our lives is something for which we can all praise God for. But as we think about our redemption, the obvious question we must ask is, why? Why does God redeem people from their sins? Why does God save people? Why does God forgive them? Why does He make them His children? Why is God so gracious to people who deserve hell, deserve judgment and damnation? Why? Well, the answers to that question are many, and most of them are are in the kind of in the mystery of God and His perfect will. Uh, These verses give a few of the truths that give some answers to the why question. Every one of these truths is wrapped up in the wonder of God and who He is. Why does God redeem the lost? God has His reasons, and those reasons cause us to stand in awe in the wonder of His redemptive work. Notice the wonder of His grace. Verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption... And then a little later it says, according to the riches of His grace. Paul tells us that everything we have in Jesus flows to us from the bottomless well of His amazing grace. What is grace? Well, of course, we have some pat answers many times. We 
think, well, that's God's riches at Christ's expense. That's true. Even though it might seem trite and and just uh, offhand, it, it is a true statement. God's riches at Christ's expense. We also know that grace is the unmerited love and favor of God for the undeserving. The actual word here refers to goodwill, loving kindness, favor. And someone has said that grace is any movement of God toward man. And that's why grace is so amazing. It amazes me how the world can sing amazing grace and not know what they're singing. It's often used in funerals and various places, even ball games. I've heard amazing grace sung. And it is amazing. Oh, that people would know why God's grace is so amazing. That's why those who have received grace marvel at it so. That is why some people stand in wonder and they consider God's grace. God in His grace set His love upon us when we did not deserve to be loved. God chose us in Jesus when He could have condemned us to hell. God reached out to us in love to save us when he had every right and reason to send us to an eternal punishment in hell. And yet it's the wonder of God's grace and that's what makes salvation so special. We've been given everything that God has to offer and we didn't deserve one bit of it. We have been brought out of death into life. We've been adopted out of Adam into Jesus. We've been delivered from hell and now we're on our, on our way to heaven. Do you want to know what the wonder of God's grace is? The wonder of God's grace is that he saved the likes of us. That he would love me and choose me and call me, save me, keep me, bless me, honor me, use me, adopt me. You could say the same thing. Thank God for his wonder, the wonder of his grace. Then there's the wonder of his glory. Verse 9 says, Having made known unto the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. The mystery of his will, that he did this according to his good pleasure. And God devised and carried out all of this because he purposed it in himself. In other words, God's whole redemptive plan exists to bring him glory. Every soul that is saved fulfills God's plan to redeem sinners and it brings, uh, uh, brings him glory. Every soul that is saved is saved because God, in order to accomplish his plan, in order to advance his own glory, has revealed the deep things of God unto us. You go back to verse 8, and you notice wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Wisdom has the idea of sanctified knowledge. It's the ability to understand the things of God. The word prudence refers to the understanding and insight. And so it's through his wisdom and prudence that God has made known unto us the mystery of his will. You see, God in his grace and for his own glory has opened our eyes to the deep things of God. 
He has allowed the redeemed to understand matters of life and death. He has allowed us to comprehend heaven and hell, time and eternity, the depth, the power, the influence of sin, and the fact of his love for us. All of these things are hidden from those who are dead in trespasses and sins. Jesus said it this way, In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them uh, unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Luke 10, 21. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 2. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So God, for his own glory and purposes, opened our eyes and let us see the truth. He used the truth to convict us of our sins, to draw us to Jesus, and he used that truth to give us faith to believe. He used that truth to redeem us, and that makes him worthy of praise. Then there's the wonder of his goal. Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him. Now, in this verse, Paul reminds us that history is not meaningless. Uh, history is, without, is not without purpose. God has done everything he's done to bring everything together in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has determined that he is to be the head of all things. That's what Colossians 2.10 tells us. And ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. Uh, in everything, Jesus is to have first place. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. I wonder, is that our goal? Is that our goal? That's God's goal. And it ought to be our goal. In other words, our goal ought to be the same as God's goal. Are we recognizing that he is to have preeminence in our lives? What does that mean? It means he's more important to you than your family. It means he's to be more important than your work. It means he's to be more important than your school. He's to be more important than your pleasure. He's to have top priority in your life. The question is, does he? One day the powers that control this world are going to fall at his feet and acknowledge him to be the king of kings and the lord of lords. And one day Satan will be judged by Jesus. He'll be cast into the lake of fire. One day the Lord Jesus will reign upon this earth in glory and power for a thousand years. Now here we find the word or the phrase the dispensation of the fullness of times. Now the word dispensation has the idea of management or oversight or um, administration. It refers to control. And I think this re verse reminds us that God is in control of this world. 
Uh, he is working out a perfect plan that he has devised before the world was ever formed. And there is coming a day when the entire world is going to be made in tune with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's coming a time when heaven and earth are going to be in perfect union. Coming a day when the material and the spiritual are going to be blended together. There's coming a time when man and God will be perfect union and communion. There's coming a time when man and man are going to be in perfect peace. When is that going to be? In the dispensation of the fullness of times. When all things are going to be reconciled one to another. When we're in tune with Jesus, then at last we'll be in tune with one another. Maybe you heard about the father who was busy. He was doing some serious work and he had a little boy that kept pestering him. I know you've never had that happen at your house. Someone pestering you. Uh, the father thought, well, I'll get rid of the boy for a, a while. So he gave him a jigsaw puzzle to work on. He said, son, here's a map of the world. Put it together. And he knew the little boy didn't know much about geography. So he thought, I'll, it'll take a long time. But not too long, the boy came back and the puzzle was done. His dad said, how did you do it? Well, the little boy said this puzzle had two pictures, one on each side. On the one side, there was a picture of a man. And when I got the man right, the world was right. You know, there's a lot of truth in that, isn't there? When man gets right, the world's going to be right. Now, you and I know that. But you know what? There are many, many people who do not know that. And it's God's purpose for your life and my life to help people to come to know that. Of course, in the end, God will reveal Jesus Christ to be the head of all things and all people. But today, the world is ignoring him. The world acts like he doesn't matter. The world refuses to bow to him, to worship him, to obey him, to love him. And this world appears to be spinning out of control, but it's merely how things appear. Our God is in control, and when the time is right, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He's going to demonstrate His power through His Son, the Lord Jesus. And here's the wonder of all this. God has made us a part of His, his plan. He has a plan to exalt his son, and he's allowed us to be a part of that plan. He's placed us in Jesus by grace through faith. He's blessed us in Jesus with all spiritual blessings. He has promised to keep us, to use us, to allow us to reign with Christ one day. And these things make him worthy of our praise. So, God has blessed us. In Christ... We are wealthy people. All spiritual blessings are ours in Him. And these truths should cause us to bow before Him in absolute submission. These truths should cause us to worship, to praise and honor Him for His grace and His gifts. If you are in Jesus and you're giving Him obedience and reverence and love and worship and praise that He desires and deserves, then you're doing what God intended for you to do. Are you doing your part in accomplishing God's plan of exalting Jesus Christ? And if you're not saved, you need to be redeemed. You need to realize what Jesus Christ has done for you. And that certainly is always the invitation 
is for you to be saved. But if you come to him, he'll forgive your sins, he'll save your soul, he'll bless you beyond your wildest dreams. And so praise God for his redemption. Praise God for his results and praise God for his reasons. Now, remember, what God says about you is truth. And this is what God is saying about each one of us. This is the truth. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's pray. Father in heaven.